Okay, so um, I've forgotten to bring my uh, computer with me, so I can't see notes, so I'm just going to have to follow the screen, so I apologise for that. But if you've been on anything that Rick Thorpe has done, I've nicked his background for these slides. So if they look a bit familiar, and a couple of his pictures, uh, that's, that's where you've seen them before. Um, because I'm part of the team, the Islington team, that, uh, that him as Bishop of Islington is responsible for church planting in London and then a wider brief across the nation. If you're not Anglican this afternoon, then I really thank God for you. Um, I'm slightly jealous of you. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> But uh, I apologise in advance if I go into... Uh, Anglican speak in any way because that's my calling and that's my context Uh, and so uh, please translate and ask questions if I'm not clear about anything. So I want to just lay a foundation in terms of why we should multiply and plant churches uh, just so that we uh, (coughs) keep asking that question because one of the things that we're in danger of now is of... (laughs) Uh, <laughs> you do come in. You're very welcome. <laughs> One of the dangers is, is that uh, as this becomes uh, new opportunities for planting and there's a new move of God, I really believe it is from God, but certainly in the Church of England, a new strategy, there is a danger that we fall into the idea that it is a silver bullet. Uh, and that it's just uh, the late or the latest thing or uh, just thing that everybody's doing now, so we should do it. Uh, and we need to be people who are theologically reflecting that we are making sure that our motives are grounded in God and not in other things that can creep in. And there can be a lot of other things that come around all of this. Uh, pressures, um, measures of success, um, all kinds of things like that. And actually what we're talking about is we're talking about some really precious things. We're talking about people, um, people within our churches. We're talking about uh, the gospel. Uh, We're talking about Jesus and his glory. And so why we do that should inform how we do it. Um, that, That should be the heart of what we do. So just a few things about that. So the first principle is, is that Jesus Christ uh, is the one who's called us to be disciples of his who make other disciples. And so he is the one who is the initiator of this mission. He's the one who seeks to bring his kingdom and to multiply his kingdom. And all the parables of the kingdom are ones of multiplication. Uh, And his commission in the Great Commission is very clear that it's to spread and it's to grow. Uh, and we've lost that so in so many contexts. And so we have to recover that and understand that that's his call. And the confidence it gives us is that when we do this, although it doesn't say we always get it right, we're lining up with his kingdom. We're lining up with his principles and his call. The church is meant to grow and multiply the pattern of the early church. I, I really believe that Acts is not just a book that was to give us some historical information about how the church started. I I don't think it was just descriptive. Equally, I don't think it's prescriptive in saying you must do it like this. Um, But I think that it is there to provide, it's informative. It, It gives us an understanding of the church and it gives us some principles. And then out of that, we then have to contextualize it and 
uh, see how it works today. And so the book of Acts is not just, oh, that happened then. It's, no, that should happen today because that's what the church looks like and has always looked like. But it then means that we then have to do the job of discerning and being led by God in contextualizing that today. We have the need. So the statistics, certainly in the Church of England, are dire. And they are really, really challenging. And just in terms of uh, the Church of England's plan to plant into the 60 largest urban areas with city centre resourcing churches, those centres cover over half of the population of England. And so the idea is, is taking some principles from Acts that there were city centres of growth from which God spread his church. So we read the letters in, uh, in the beginning of Revelation and they all name towns that were around Ephesus. And we go back into Ephesus and what Paul did in Ephesus when he met in the hall of Tyrannus and he taught and he trained for two years there and we don't know any more about that except that Luke then summarises that the whole of Asia heard the gospel. How did that happen? Well, it happened because they spread into the towns, they formed churches there that then spread the gospel into those towns and those communities. And so it was the planting of churches that Paul initiated through training and equipping people in that centre that then spread throughout the whole of Asia. So the need in England is there, uh, but we take the principle from the Acts of the Apostles and then we have to work out what does it look like today. Research is... is, um, Slightly um, challenging, but the the research that does exist says that a number of things happen when we plant churches. So we reach more people. Um, And that's because the churches that we plant have a missional energy. If you're leading an, an, an established church that hasn't been planted recently, then you'll know the challenge of seeking to lead people in that church into an understanding that they are on mission with Jesus Christ and seeking to make new disciples. Um, That's a real challenge. Um, We have to do that. And so maybe that's part of what your call is this afternoon, is that you're in a church and the primary role now is to invest into those people in a way that builds a vision and a culture that they can then begin to share the gospel and see people come to know Jesus. But... If you plant a new church, you're not having to re-engineer and and change the culture of the whole existing church. You can plant something new that is is established on the principles of the gospel, on making disciples, on mission. And you can train that team and you can release that team into into mission uh, rather than having just to move a congregation as a whole into maintenance. So you can take a small team and that releases new energy and they reach more people. They reach new people because they're in new areas and that are untouched by the gospel that haven't had the opportunity to hear. And they reach younger people because we plant with a younger culture of church. Um, And as a result of that, there's the opportunity not necessarily to have to, again, uh, take a whole congregation on a journey from the culture that they have inherited into one that will connect with younger culture. You can plant with that new culture. And the really interesting thing is, is that, and and you release new leaders. I was saying last night in in All Saints that 
every time that we've planted, the people who are on the leadership teams of these plants, they suddenly become energised in a way they were never energised in the church that I led. And, uh, and that's really exciting for them, but I just get grumpy about it because I thought, why didn't you do that when you were with me? Well, there's a reason why they didn't do it with me is because they hadn't received a sense of a call and a compelling vision and something that they know that if they gave their life to and that they sacrificed for would actually see the kingdom come and make a difference and suddenly they're in a team that they know if they don't show up nobody else is going to show up and if they don't show up then uh, that can't happen and so they show up and they do stuff they've never done before and suddenly they're released into leadership Um, and it's really exciting to see and if you plant And if your plant plants again, certainly within three years within the study that I read, that's almost a guarantee of that planted church remaining healthy and continuing to grow. It feels counterintuitive that actually as you give away, you're putting your church under threat because you're weaker. But what's happening is you're lining up with the principles of the kingdom, that as you give and the measure you use, so God will measure it to you. And as you give, then the people in the sending church they also discover a fresh call of God because they look around and they go, okay, we better reach some more people or we better step up in leadership and and they begin to grow again. Whereas if you follow a a, a more um, sort of institutional model in terms of protecting what, what is there, then you plant a church, you establish it and then you go, oh, we're feeling weak and fragile, we better actually not plant again because we need to grow and you're actually setting into the DNA of the culture something that it is in we're going into maintenance. And so my vision and my prayer over this nation is that we would see many multiplying church planting movements of multiple generations in different places, um, in all kinds of shapes and sizes that I'll say about in a moment. That's what I think multiplication looks like in the kingdom. That's what will touch this and, and really see the gospel touch this nation. And so, but that's what it's going to take. And so that is a big mindset shift for us of planting then and then then planting again. The great stat I love to use is the Redeemed Christian Church of God, the Nigerian church. And they came into the UK in 2000. They've planted over a thousand churches since 2000. And they plant with just two people. So they grow to 70, and once they get to 70, there's a, there's a covenant between them that they are guaranteed that they have to release two people. And that's tough on those two people. You know, it's, a really challenging, <laughs> it's a really challenging model that they go and they plant just with two, but they put around them um, support and apparatus. And most importantly, and the best story I've heard from them is that they use prayer assassins. And uh, they send their prayer assassins into the region where they're going to plant, and they, they walk the streets at night because they don't want to be distracted by human beings. They want to pray in the heavenlies over that area and pray for God to come. And they pray, and those, that team prays for three months. And I'm challenged by that. Um, but that planting and planting again and planting again is what has the potential to really uh, touch the nation. So how do we do this? Well, there are many types of church plants, and so one of the challenges around this area is you say the word church plant, and everybody thinks of something different. And so we need to understand that God is a God of creativity, and so many different forms of church are needed, and so many different ways of planting are needed. 
And so that can happen in all kinds of ways. Two people can go, or a hundred people can go. Um, you can go as a missional community, remaining committed into uh, with, with an established church, or you can plant a completely new, separate church community. You can revitalise and graft, as, as we've heard. Uh, you can plant into a community in partnership with another church or with an institution like a school or into a business environment. So there's so many different ways in which we can plant in different ways. This principle of one church planting and then another church planting from that plant is what we see in the book of Acts. And I think that it's a really important thing for us to grasp because the question about church planting is what are we reproducing? What are we seeking to reproduce when we plant? Because I, I, I get really excited about planting because I, I like new things and pioneering new things. But the, 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 the sobering moment for me is when we plant, are we planting anything that is of worth for you, Lord? Is, is there something of goodness of God in what we're planting? Is there something life-giving in what we're planting? Or are we just strategically reorganizing the church in a new way? So it, it, it challenges us what we're planting, but the principle is if there is something of life that has grown and uh, starts, plants, grows, and then reproduces, there is something of the life of, of, of the kingdom of God in that church. And I think that's what God is doing at this time. And it's not in any way uh, criticism or judgment on anything that, uh, that isn't doing that. But I think that what I've seen across the Church of England is we, we come up with these great grand plans. And so diocese will, will say, OK, I'm going to plant 500 new worshipping communities. And quite often what they'll do is they'll go, I've got 500 inherited churches. And so I'm going to plant 500 new churches. And they're really saying that each parish will plant a church. And I've sat with a, with a number of diocesan directors in different roles uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I said, that's ridiculous. And they said, no, it isn't. No, we believe that every one of our churches can plant. I go, really? Have you seen your churches? <laughs> Honestly, life produces life. And that's not to say that God can't bring life to every church. He can. But he's going to need to do that if that church is then going to plant. And he's going to need to do it if that church is going to plant anything that's life-giving. So I hope I'm not offending anybody, but I'm just trying to tell the truth. And so we need to, we need to have life and growth within the church that's planting and then that will grow and then that will, that will then give birth, that will plant again. And that's, that's the vision of this. And so it won't just be even. It won't be every single church is now going to plant. It's going to be places of life will become centres that will produce life. And what they plant will produce life. And that will grow and that will plant again. And that will plant again. And you'll get this multiple generations of churches planted from the single source. Because by God's grace, he's produced life in that centre that then has reproduced itself. That's what I believe is going to make the difference. It's not in any way a criticism of anything else. God can be, continue to work in all kinds of different ways, but in this vision of church planting movements, that's what I think is going to make the difference. 
just a little bit on our... Uh, on our story. So I arrived in 2009. We were declining City Centre Church. I just set a vision of, of mission into the city of Leicester. We asked ourselves, how are we going to do this? We ended up on a missional community structure, uh, which was challenging for us, where we decided we're not going to gather around pastoral need, but we're going to gather around a vision for mission. So every community that gathered in Holy Trinity would have a vision statement, an identity, a clear purpose for reaching a particular community. That might be a neighbourhood, it might be a network, it might be a need, but that's the focus of us gathering together that we're not just here for ourselves, we're here as missional disciples. And so we did that, we went on a journey with that. Uh, We realised that we needed a number of things along the way, that what we did is we managed to restructure our church, and we restructured it around mission, but actually what happened was we just moved the deck chairs on the Titanic from the Titanic into lifeboats, Uh, but they were still being very comfortable, and they were still enjoying the same chairs, and they were still feeling very comfortable, and they weren't really doing mission and evangelism, they were just... They were just saying, yeah, we're willing to move a bit. And they were really gracious and they're fantastic people. But we weren't seeing very many people come to know Jesus Christ. And so a couple of things we needed to do in that is one is we established coaching support to really keep the accountability around mission high for those leadership teams. And big questions around all of church planting is how do we care for the leaders who are planting? Because they're, they're being asked to do something really challenging. Um, and so I think these networks really help, and that's what we really want to see in, in, in New Wine, is that we have hubs where people have got experience and they can provide support, and networks where we support one another, because it's, it's, it's a tough job. It's absolutely fantastic, but it's tough. So uh, that was the first thing we did. The second thing we did is we did a lot of training in uh, in. Uh, in evangelism, in, in equipping people to actually share the gospel, have gospel conversations, pray for people out in the world, invite them to, uh, to explore faith with Jesus Christ, read gospels with them, all those, those kind of things. And we, were, we went on a journey over two years where we trained the missional community leaders and then we trained the whole church in evangelism and we're still needing to keep going into that and to retell that story and to call people again to that because we naturally as Christians in this country default away from evangelism and mission there's a there's a default setting in us I think partly it's our nature in terms of we love comfort as people partly it's the inherited experience of church that gives us permission for it which is we we just belong to church we're not on mission with Jesus and that's a really tough thing to to get into the DNA of a church, we realised that we hadn't got a training culture. We trained leaders, we trained people in specialist ministries, but we didn't train disciples to go and make more disciples. And when we started to do that, people didn't like it. And uh, they weren't happy. And we'd keep making them repeat things to learn things, so they really got it confident. And we then held them accountable for it. So have you shared your story with anybody? Have you offered to pray with somebody? Have you explained the gospel with anybody? And we're not used to being asked, are you doing what Jesus said you are? But that's all we were doing. We, we, and nobody in the whole of my ministry as a church leader has ever come to me and said, John, would you please help me to make another disciple? Because I've been following Jesus for this long and I haven't made one yet. And that's what he said I'm meant to do. And so would you please tell me to do that? 
And so when you start to do that for people, you're not necessarily tapping at an open door. Um, but that's what we're called to do. So that was a key learning along the way. In terms of church planting, uh, sorry, first two church plants, we was a revitalization. We'd already started a missional community in that parish, and we were doing schools work in that parish. And then when the leader left, that church was not going to get a new uh, priest. And so uh, we offered to plant into that church, and we sent 45 adults and 25 children. Uh, and there are now over 200 people in that church, and it's been designated as a resourcing church for the Church of England. So a church that was really going to just be left alone and looked after by some visiting preachers and priests is now a church that is, uh, is really a leader in mission as a result of that uh, plant. And then in the Church of the Nativity, we just sent uh, a new leader in there with just a little bit of intern support and they've created uh, a new congregation and some children's work there, and that's just beginning to bubble away. But that was a very small plant uh, then in 2016. 2018, we planted again. Um, God really called us to do that. It was a moment where I really had to hold my nerve because we were about to do a big building project, and then God spoke to us about planting these t- uh, into these two opportunities that we were given And I thought, we're going to give people away at a point when we're going to ask this congregation to give £2 million. And I don't know how that works, Lord. Um, It only works if this is your kingdom. And so we announced it in the April. They planted it in the end in, in the September. And everybody cheered. And I thought, oh, we've got it. We've got it that actually we say we're going to plant and everybody cheers. It's now in us. It's in our culture. It's in our vision. It's in our desire in the people rather than, oh, no, isn't this terrible? We're going to lose people and we're going to be weaker. But no, they they knew then what happens when you plant. Holy Apostles was a team with a curate uh, and an intern and... Jenny's fantastic, but she's not what you would call a a church planting pioneer. She's a 50-plus ex-primary school teacher, very pastoral, uh, and yet she took a team and she's brought that church alive. She's seen people come to know Jesus, first adult baptism they've ever had, run Alpha, just planting a messy church. My job with her is just to keep her going in terms of the vision and the outward thrust because her relational ability is just fantastic. Uh, And she's done a brilliant job, and that church is growing, um, although the roof has just been blown off its hall, I was told today. So, uh, And again, that's just a nice illustration, is that when the roof gets blown off the hall at Holy Apostles, the operations manager at Holy Trinity deals with it. And that's what we as a hub can provide as support, um, because we have all the operational capacity, and the plant doesn't yet, and so... And then imprint is the story I love to tell just because it's just only a god could do this. Is a 22-year-old intern at the time uh, called Wale. He's from a Nigerian cultural background. He's done a year with us as an intern. At the end of that, I'm praying with him. I sense God say he should plant a church. I say to him, I think God's saying you should plant a church. He says, somebody rang me up the previous week and said you should plant a church by the time I'm 23. I said, how old are you? He says, 22. I said, okay, we better get on with it. And we do this in partnership with the diocese. The deanery say, yep, you don't need to have a BMO. We'll just let you plant. 
and uh, they were really generous to us and the bishop uh, licensed him as a licensed lay person and so we, we planted with him. He took 10 people from Holy Trinity uh, into just a secular building. He grew that church to over 150 in 18 months and then um, he then planted into London in September near Bank Station. He'd seen a number of his students move back to London with that planting team. He planted there, and he now has a church of over 100 near Bank Station. Uh, And in 2019, we also planted onto one of the toughest estates in Leicester with a team of 12 and uh, and a pioneer there. And that's really tough, and that's a long-term project. Has that just gone off? There we go. Okay. Yes, when I arrived, yep. Yep. Part of the reason for that was that four years in, I asked the diocese if we could plant, and they said no. And I said, okay, um, I'm, I'm under authority. I'm willing to work with that. But I said, anytime you want to plant, um, we're here. And then part of the thing was, in terms of the detail of that, was they said, okay, you'd like to plant. I said, yeah, so could you give me a curate? And they said, yep, you can have a curate, but you have to pay for them. And I then said, no deal. I said, the deal is you give me the curate, you pay for it. We will then send a team of people that will cost us in terms of sending people. We'll provide all the support and all the resourcing around that, but we're asking you to actually have a balance in this. And they, at that stage, that was outside of our experience and our structures, and they said no to that. And so at that point, we said no. Uh, but we had a really good relationship with the diocese, worked with them, and then three years later, they said yes. Okay, so big, big thing. This may be, not be your issue, but, uh, but large to resource may not be the right language. But there is a shift in culture. That's the thing to say is that the, 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 when, when you are going to give away, that is a really big shift in culture, and we just need to understand that, because everything up until now that we've, we've celebrated, certainly within the evangelical world, is we've celebrated bigger. And this is something that is directly opposite to that. What we're celebrating here is generosity, So the old model is we celebrate seating capacity. How many can we get on a Sunday? In this model, it's sending capacity. How many can we send? Building that within our life. It's a massive cultural shift. And so the the attractional church is growing and discipling its congregation, more and more people. We're often investing in quality of resource, excellence of resource, trying to make everybody feel better about being part of our church. Um, And... Prayer finances and structures are primarily around the pastoral maintenance needs of that church and the vision is to grow larger and better over the years. In a resource church in in Anglican language, a planting church, the focus is on sending capacity, evangelising a region. Again, it's a really interesting thing for us in the Anglican church that this vision is, it may start in our Jerusalem, in our parish, but it rarely finishes there. And so you begin to have a vision over an area, a region. And that takes some working out with our structures, but that's definitely what God begins to do. We development of resources not just to serve our people, but to serve other churches. So one of our 
primary things is that we've been training worship leaders. So we've been training worship leaders in other churches. We've been raising up worship leaders to send to other churches. And we've been raising up worship leaders to send with our church plants. And so we've trained 40 worship leaders in the last year. Um, because we want to have that as a resource. That's a key part of the cultural change within the church, is having uh, a worship and contemporary worship that fits with this. Um, pipeline of leaders. This Church planting is not really a, a church planting strategy. It's a leadership strategy, um, because you have to raise up a leader. That's the key. So you've got to find those people who have a call from God to do this, and then you have to train them, support them, resource them. And within the Church of England, that is going to be our major problem. Our problem now is not opportunities to plant. Our problem now is recruitment of leaders. And we're probably going to have to shift how we train them and how we recognise them in terms of ordination, but that's, that's into the future. But we really need not only to raise up people into ordained roles and lay pioneering roles uh, who who are willing to do that, but we then have to give them the training and the qualities that are going to be required to plant and to send and to take a team and build a team and grow a church. We haven't been training people with that. So that becomes a major challenge for us. Proactive strategy to plant churches, we start thinking strategically and we release um, prayer, finances, structures for the for church planting so we now have a church planting line in our budget that every year we're investing in so we can send plants with money um, and have the resources for the people that are going to plant just can you tell us how big your budget is so our budget is half a million pounds every year it's not enormous then, right? yeah, that's a whole church yeah yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Because <laughs> so, uh, sometimes people go, oh, therefore you've got all the money in the world. But actually it doesn't feel like that. And so, so, so even, even with a church that's large and, uh, and, and uh, got lots of activity uh, within it, in such a church you are always using all that God gives you. And so this takes a deliberate decision to prioritise this. And... And the other thing is, is that when you plant, you send people with money. So the year before we planted our first church, we had made a £20,000 deficit. We felt called to plant in that year because the diocese said yes. We sent those people with £40,000 worth of giving into that church. We talked as, as PCC, as trustees, and we said, what do we think we should do? And what's God saying? And we had that verse, um, with the measure you use, I will use it. And that year, even though I didn't teach on giving that year, we produced a surplus, even though we'd given people away of £40,000 worth of giving. I genuinely don't know how God did that. Really don't. That's the kingdom. Uh, And the really exciting thing is you go, particularly if you're revitalising, Holy Apostles with Jenny, so they they suddenly have got £20,000 in their church budget, and I say to them, what are you going to do with it? They've run on £400 for ministry every year in the previous years. So after they've kept the lights on, they've had £400 left. And that no wonder they're not reaching anybody. They have no capacity to reach anybody with that level of giving. And suddenly they've got £20,000. What are you going to do with that? And it becomes an exciting con- conversation, but it also becomes a conversation that changes the DNA of that people because they're then going, oh, 
we've got a responsibility. We're trying to reach people. We're going to do something with this. We start to pray. We start to seek God. We start to have those kind of conversations. And that, just that little thing around money just begins to transform churches. Okay, how are we doing on time? So, um, something about how we change the culture from that centralised, attractional, we're going to grow bigger, it's all about us, to we're going to send people. Um, We need to think about, is there a gospel vision and desire for evangelism? Again, one of my little pet things is, uh, church planting is all about seeing new people find faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, And the danger is, is that we start with a worship leader and a really cool service and try and get as many people to come to this, which are normally Christians. And, yeah, we can talk about the merits of all of that. We need a team of Christians to reach more people, so that's not fundamentally something that's wrong. But when are we starting with the evangelist? When are we starting with evangelism and reaching new people and then forming a community from the people that we've, we've seen come to faith in Christ. That's what happened in the New Testament. Um, and so I'm not there yet, but I'm just asking that question. But do we have a vision for evangelism? Do we have an understanding in your church that everybody is a missionary who could be sent? Is there a question on their hearts when you've church plant or when you talk about it, is it me, Lord? Just creating that as an understanding of, of a believer, a member of our church, transforms them. An outward focus and a desire to give away, teaching about generosity, or a desire to bless other communities. Excitement about church planting. Uh, as I said, when they cheered, I realised everybody had got it. Willingness to experiment and take risks. No guarantee of success. Um, so we will have... A things that don't work out. We've got a number of missional communities that we've had to close. hasn't all worked out. Spiritual vision of the kingdom advancing and winning spiritual battles. So what your history is will really is really important in this. And the great thing in Church of England terms is every church was planted at some point. We are a church planting movement. We really are. We just stopped at one point. And we're starting again. And so it's as simple as that. So we've got a history. And quite often, if you've got a history, and you can say, we were planted from that church. And so we're now going to do it again. But your capacity as a leader, your capacity as a church, your history as a church, the things that you've been through in recent years, we have to be attentive to all of those. And so... This isn't just some kind of franchise model in which you're just expected to go and plant another one of you and it's, and it's just uh, a strategic decision. It's discerning under God, the leading of his spirit. Is this the right time? Is this the right people? Do we have the right person to lead? Do we have the capacity at the moment? Or actually, do we need to just spend more time paying attentive to the church and shifting the culture and teaching vision and growing more disciples and winning people for Jesus in our context so that we then have the capacity to plant again. So we have to, we have to discern what time it is for us as a church. What are the structural challenges that you might face? Finance, leadership, uh, diocese. 
So how do, you, how do you change this? Two things. You say stuff and you do stuff. You communicate the vision through preaching, vision days. We had a number with our leadership teams and our PCCs where we were discerning this, where we were talking it through, where we were agreeing it. We invest time with a coalition for change. Who is up for it? There will be some that will and some that won't, and that's absolutely what we should expect, so we work with those that will. We find a, a coalition for change. Communicate what the congregation, uh, with the congregation, what things are doing in everyday evangelism, new mission. What that really is is testimony. We're going to celebrate mission, evangelism, people coming to faith. And so we just start to do that. And as you begin to get some stories, then celebrate them. So that's saying, what do we do? We choose leaders who align with the vision. Ministers, church wardens, treasurers, small group leaders. Um, you begin to talk about, if you're preaching this and you're teaching this, you're then saying to people, so what do you think about that? And what do you think about planting in the future? And uh, would you be willing to help us lead this? And you're beginning to call it out of people. Create a budget, as I said, if you've got capacity to do that. Stop activities which get in the way of the planting vision. Um, within our lives as churches, what are we doing that is actually fundamentally just robbing you of capacity as a vicar or leader? What are you doing that is robbing your people of capacity to begin to engage in evangelism, mission, training? Sometimes we have to stop things. Um, as I said, we're, we're needing to build up leaders, and so we need to invest in leaders who are then going to have capacity to plant. So everyone, youth workers, coffee team leader, has an apprentice, so this is one of Rick Thorpe's things, is if we're going to give people away, then they're going to go, and when they go, they need to be replaced. And actually, that's what stimulates growth in the sending church. It's very painful because the people who go are always the best because they catch the vision. They, they, they don't, uh, they're not the people who don't have a, have a relationship with Jesus Christ and an ongoing discipleship. Or They're not the ones who are going to sacrifice. They're the ones who are actually got life about them, and they go. So just one thing you can do is saying, who are we raising up in leadership, which if we send some people, we can then actually have capacity to still uh, go forward. And you start looking and praying for the place God is calling you to plant. And I had a little bit of an issue with this in that I felt I was being a bit predatory. So I drive around in my car and I go, oh, I wonder, Lord, we could plant here. Or we could take over that church and revitalise that church. And, and what I found was uh, I, I got my eye on somebody and, uh, or an area or, or another church. And actually, it was completely wrong. And so we found that while, by creating a vision for church planting, for creating a real commitment to it within our church culture, God has been the one who's opened up that opportunity. So sometimes that's come from the diocese inviting us, and that's really important for us to have a good relationship with them. Sometimes it's come from us saying, oh, here's an opportunity like with Wally. And so I really want it to be a spirit-led movement, but we need to start thinking strategically. And so you have to start praying and asking, okay, Lord, where next? 
And each time we've planted, I have had a sense from God of, it's coming. Prepare yourself. There's, there's, there's another one coming. So, here's a question for you, um, which we'll have a break and we'll, we'll uh, think about after the break as well, which is, in the context that you're in, what's the DNA like? What's, what's the culture like currently of planting? Now, some of you have just planted, and you probably think this is the last thing I'm thinking about at the moment. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. Um, but the gift you've got if you've just been planted is never lose the chance to say, do you know, one day I think we'll plant again. And because uh, we were planted, we, we received all the generosity from this church. We, we really want to do that again for somebody else. And so when are we going to do that? But equally, that might not be the time right now if you've just planted. Um, but how are you doing? Uh, what needs action? What, what, of all the stuff I've just thrown at you, where are the things that you think, oh, I don't think we've ever done that or we've never addressed that? Uh, where do you see some progress in that? Where's there a sense of, yep, we're there? Okay, when we come to um, Q&A, if you put a hand up, then we can run a microphone to you. That way it will be on a recording. And um, that's another thing I'll promise you. We'll try and send you a recording as well at some point. So the slides, PDF of, and the recording to come later if I have your email address. If not, I'm not looking it up. So. I don't think anybody's listening to you, Paul. So. <laughs> What's different? <laughs> okay, everyone, to. we're going to come back together. And uh, I think that I've definitely said enough, and I'm really aware of how much experience we have in the room. So I'd like to do some Q&A, and for us to try and have something that's really interactive. And so as a question is asked, if you would like to make a contribution, uh, or if you'd like to take us into a particular area that we've just touched on briefly... Uh, but we haven't gone into any depth, then you could say, could we look at that? I'd really like to explore that together. Um, So uh, it's over to you uh, so that we can scratch where we're itching. Yep. You talked about being really focused and maybe having to stop some things. Mm. What are some examples of things that you've stopped in order to get that church planting focus? Yep. So, uh, other people can answer this as well, but because it's all contextually based. So, uh, a really good example of this was uh, we were renowned for uh, delivering a really creative and amazing thing called questions where twice a term, for two nights, twice a term, we would turn our church into a restaurant and we would create an incredible... uh, sort of multimedia presentation on a question of life um, of all kinds of questions and the church was to bring their non-Christian friends to this event it was an easy invite and we used it as a sort of a forerunner to go to Alpha but what we found was this thing did not produce conversion growth and what we learned from that was that people had used all of their invitational capacity to get them to that event And they then never invited them to Alpha. And so we would have people who came for years to questions. They said, when's your next event? What's the question you're asking? Oh, yeah, we really love it. We come every time. And they were completely, because it was very low gospel content. 
and very high connection content in terms of a, a really relevant question of life. And so we, we stopped it. And uh, we released capacity in people's lives. And we caused a little bit of angst in the congregation because they were really pleased with themselves about questions. And, uh, and so that was something that we stopped. And, uh, and genuinely, it was the thing that, ever, as I arrived at Holy Trinity, that's all that anybody would tell me about, uh, about how brilliant and creative it was. And we stopped it. And we stopped some other stuff, mainly by benign neglect. Um, so I didn't say you can't do that, but I'm just not going to give you any resource, any support. You're not going to get celebrated. You're not going to... Obviously, I'm not saying that to people. Um, <laughs> just so you understand me. But in my mind, I'm thinking that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> note to self, inside voice, outside voice. Really important. <laughs> um, so... Old Persons Lunch Club that uh, is, no longer exists at Holy Trinity. Um, but we've got an amazing old persons missional community who I never thought they'd get there, but they're fantastic. Uh, and so the, the club was not in any way inviting other people. It was only people in the church. And they'd been together for so long that they were never ever going to invite anybody else. And so that just um, just finished naturally. And then... Yeah, we've got some some older people. So, other people got anything to say about that? No. Okay. Another question. Yeah, we'll come to you next. We go up there. Yeah. Um, so you spoke earlier about how when you asked the diocese about church planting, they told you no. How did you kind of handle that? time of frustration knowing that this was something that God kind of put inside of you but still having to submit to authority at the time so the, the history of and I'll get other people to speak on that as well um, the history of Holy Trinity was when I came to Holy Trinity we had declared UDI and we didn't we'd capped our parish share and we basically said to the diocese you're liberal we're evangelical we don't trust you and so we're not going to pay any more money than it costs for you to provide what you provide for us. And uh, they'd broken relationship with the diocese. And I just came along. And I just really believe... So three times I've prayed for God to let me go from the Church of England. Uh, genuinely, really, honestly. Um, genuinely. I've, I've wanted to leave three times. Uh, only three. Yeah, very good. Um, <laughs> um, each time he's just given me a deeper sense of my call to it. So therefore, if I'm called to it, I have to be part of it. <clears throat> and so we spent time increasing our parish share, uh, building relationship, including the diocese in our decision-making, and with no guarantee of what the outcome of that would be, but with a sense of conviction that this was, this was what we were called to do. Because what we'd done alongside the non-church planting bit was we had uh, got permission from the bishop to develop missional communities all over the city of Leicester, as long as they didn't have a public act of worship and people were not inviting people from other churches. 
and in, on the basis that we would tell the vicar of the parish that we were planting a community into that this was happening and we would do it in relationship. And so we'd negotiated that with them. So I felt that actually we could just continue with that process, that we weren't not doing something in terms of uh, seeking to reach people. Um, and so it was on that basis that we carried on. And we were just in conversation. And so we were just saying, uh, well, yeah, every now and again we'd meet up and just talk about possibilities of what Holy Trinity would contribute to the diocese. And actually, around the country, it, it was quite unusual. Lots of larger evangelical churches have not got a good relationship with the diocese. And I think that one of the things that God is having to do in evangelical churches is teach them that actually there's some great people in diocesan leadership who actually want to partner with them now rather than frustrate them. And actually they're they're still operating on the old model of, oh, I can't trust the person in the diocese because they don't share my vision and values. And I think that God's really changing all of that. And so... Um, we have to learn some lessons, and certainly we did. And uh, God was really good in all of that. So anybody else want to share something of that? Paul, do you want to say? Or, yeah, Bishop Peter. Um, thanks for that, John, especially the positive end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just get a dig in there. Um, this, this peculiar and sometimes unhelpful word, diocese, um, we're all the diocese, right? We're the body of Christ. The only way you can change a diocese, which is the particular structure of the Church of England, sorry if you're not Anglicans, I'm talking in-house, but the only way you can change a diocese is from the inside. Mm. And that's why we need you guys to stay inside and be transformative. Um, And, you know, when the diocese says no, it's not the body of Christ saying no, and it's not the Spirit of God saying no. Maybe it's it's a particular set of leaders who have a particular history mm. and sometimes, as you've said, a particular question in relationship with mm. us, whoever mm. us is. Um, and it's really important that we build the relationships and change the game from the mm. inside. Yeah. So please stay on the bus. Please keep doing what you're doing, mm. basically. I will, I will say one more thing just um, at that point, which is, In the new world that the Strategic Development Unit of the Church of England, um, where they're providing grants for dioceses, um, is asking dioceses to create plans for planting and resourcing churches. What that is creating is creating lots of opportunity, but what you're then finding is you're asking a certain church to plant and to be involved in this. They begin to make their plans. They take big steps and do all that we've talked about earlier. And the diocese has said yes to the plan, but they actually haven't realised what it's going to mean. And they are going on a journey of understanding and growing, and they're going on a journey of cultural change. And they have a number of anxieties which they're vulnerable to in terms of other churches going, it's not fair they're getting all of this, and uh, we don't want people planting churches into our parish and things like that. And so we, we have to work in partnership to help them to understand, actually for us, as we're doing all of this, it feels very vulnerable to us too, and we need their support. 
and we need to help them to do what only they can do, which institutionally they can give permission and they can deal with some stuff that needs to be dealt with and they can provide resources and they can release people to support us in buildings and finance and structures and things like that. But they're, they're catching up as well. So what I'm finding all over the country is people who are planting churches going, I've been asked to plant, and then I go and talk to the person who's representing the plan that we've agreed with in the diocese, and they're still operating on the old model. And they, they don't understand that they signed up for this building to be redeveloped, and they've not got the faculty office on board or, um, or the financial structure around that church plant, and they're putting pressure on them for parish share or, or the prioritisation of a curate or an associate vic or whatever that might be. And so there is a lag in that. And so God's doing something to, of, of disrupting and changing the culture, but we have to work with those people because they're often representing the plan and the diocese in all of this, but they've got pressures from all different kinds of places on them. And so we have to work with them. Yeah, David, do you want to...? Sort of following on from that, and I'm conscious of my bishops in the back row there. Um, we, we have two conflicting pressures here. We've got the pressure to multiply and the pressure to grow, but we've also got the pressure to keep the plates spinning mm. in ever larger groups as we see declining congregations, and dare I say it, um, one of, one of the, the pressures there is to MMUs, which will um, covertly or otherwise... Just say what MMUs are, just so people... Mission and ministry units in this diocese, which will covertly or otherwise reduce numbers of clergy and spread us a little bit more thinly. Um, the how... conspiracy theory. Oh, I knew he'd say that, yes. But, yeah, I, I, I guess... I, I'm, I, I, and he's from Swansea, but we won't talk about that. Yet. Uh, yeah, how, um, how, how, do, how do we, as... I, I, I'm, I'm blessed in leading a large church, okay? But, uh, and, but how do we, as, as, as evangelicals, sometimes in large churches, sometimes not, how do we keep those things in tension? And how do we, how do we encourage the diocese to keep the two in tension? Because I'm, I'm conscious that my bishop in the back row there has, has all sorts of conflicting... Uh, mm. Priority sometimes. I, I'm not unsympathetic, honest. <laughs> honest. You Even if he's from Swansea. <laughs> let, let Paul answer this from. Not a definitive answer, but an answer. Um, I, th- I think we, we can't move at the speed of the slowest. I think that there's an urgency on this. So um, this is part of the tension. One of the benefits of having been around a long time, like we both have, is that we have had the opportunity to develop relationships, not just with um, those in, in authority over us, but also with colleagues. Um, and I think it's all about relationship. I, I think what's really important is the spirit in which something is birthed is likely to shape how it flourishes. And um, actually a great example would be uh, when Nigel... Um, Nigel got a call to move from Chelmsford to plant into Woodford and came to see me with, with the, the leaders of, of the church there. And, um, and we... So basically, we got off on the right foot, which is this is partnership, not competition, mm. um, from the beginning. And that's been so we, you know, we're good mates, and we can celebrate what God's doing through each other. Um, so I think we've got, we've got to recognise everybody's on this journey, including colleagues in areas we might be planting into. Um, and we've got to, if we're in relationship, it helps people take the journey. If we're in bad relationship, then people dig their heels in, and it gets worse. So. 
So I, I would say we've got to be a little bit provocative, but if, as long as you keep going and talking to people, my experience is it usually works out. Usually. Um, just to ask, is there anybody who wants to come in on that theme before we go on to another question? Okay, in which case, this gentleman is next. Yep. My question is about um, DNA um, within the congregation. Um, sometimes it's, it's very difficult to get members of the congregation to understand what it is that church planting is. Mm. You can think of the DNA of a church as you know, an established church, mm. um, the history of the church, yeah, as you mentioned, right. yeah. you know, it has a, a you know planting history and so on. But if you think about a particular congregation, mm. how do you in birth that DNA within the mm. congregation? So I, I can only say what I've done, and that doesn't come primarily initially with you talking about church planting. It talk, for me, it's much more about an understanding of uh, the nature of the church as a, as a missionary disciple-making movement, trying to help people to understand that. And secondly, the identity of each <laughs> Christian as, uh, as somebody who's on mission with Jesus, as a disciple-maker, as somebody who will experience a call of God and who is a minister. And you can do that in all kinds of different ways. And so... Um, one example of that for us at Holy Trinity was I just walked around a church that was high control. So everything had been controlled by my predecessor. He'd done a great job, but he was a, an Oxford mathematician and uh, everything was done by numbers. So it was like, how many chairs do you want out? I said, I just want the chairs out. And they go, no, no, but Roger had a system and this Sunday he had that system and that. And, then how, and I'm really sorry, John, there are, only, there are only six members in the band this week. Roger insisted we had seven every week. And so... This was high control, and he was a really good leader, so lots of good things happened. I went to people, and I said, what do you think God's calling you to? And they would say to me, I've never been asked that question. So just by asking a question of you can be called by God, and in, the, and in his sovereignty, he can bring together people's callings in a unified vision in which they can express them if you'll give them that vision. So... Just very quickly, I think that there can be three very simple cultures in the church. One is a control culture. Leader says everybody just does what they're, they're told. One is a permission-giving culture in which anybody can do anything, but that actually is just anarchic. And in that culture, only people who are normally extrovert or very uh, uh, not risk-averse will take, a, will take a step forward. So whatever develops is the people who have got the guts to have a go. An empowering culture is something that enables people to be invested in and discern who they are, what their gifting is, what their calling is under God, and that you as the leader create a vision, a structure, a trellis within which people can find their calling and grow. And that's what I think we're called to do. So I would start on the empowering of people and an understanding of the church before you ever mention church planting because that church planting is the full expression of that which you're teaching, but it will already begin to have positive impact within the lives of your, of your members of your church way before they realise that the full implication of this could be that. And when they get there, they'll then be able to say yes to it. But if you say that now, they'll go, I oh, know, that, 
that doesn't make sense to me or, or that, that feels too much for us. Um, I'll tell you my favourite thing I ever did, particularly because there's a bishop in the room, uh, and is that is I ordained the whole of my evening congregation. Uh, so I took them through the ordination prayer. I prayed the ordination prayer over them. I gave them all a dog collar. They all put cardboard dog collars on. <laughs> and, I said, and I said, you're all a minister. And you're all ministers of Jesus Christ. And then I said, of course, you're not really ordained because I'm not a bishop and it didn't work. But... <laughs> Um, but <laughs> that is the truth. The priesthood of all believers. We're all ministers. We all get to play. And somehow we have to enable people to have a sense of that in our churches. And so we do what we think might work in our churches. I don't know if anybody else wants to chip in on that. I think it's worth saying, again, with the bishop in the room, some of us have, some of us have found ourselves pushed uh, or have found ourselves had the opportunity to church plant before the preparatory work had the chance to be done. Yes. And that, I think, is far more widespread than we might acknowledge. So just a question on that, which is there's now uh, really exciting things happening, which is a call from the leadership of the diocese to say, we believe, we see in you a vocation. We see you in you the potential of this. So they're calling that out of you. But as with all discernment and vocational um, journeys, there's then a journey to follow on from that. And so then we have to start doing the preparatory work within this wider understanding of, hey, guys, we're being called. But I think that's a gift to us. It's, it's a challenge, but it's a gift because actually when, certainly when I speak to a member of our church and I call something out of them, because I'm the leader of the church and I'm saying it to them, there's, there's, there's a spiritual dynamic of that that calls something out of them. When you get somebody, when you get a diocese saying to you, we're calling you to church plant... So for, for, for the Holy Apostles Church, I stood up and I said, the bishop wants us to revitalise this church. That, that's a powerful thing. There's a calling in that. There's a recognition. There's a discernment. And, and, but it doesn't yet mean necessarily that you're ready. So that does bring pressures. Um, did you want to say something, Paul? Yeah, I just wanted to... I mean, something John put up earlier I thought was really interesting about um, churches that plant within three years sustain their growth in the planting. So we, we recognise that we're working with portions of the congregation that are more likely to get it. But when they go, what we really need to do is, even if the main church, the mother church, is still on a journey of catching up and getting the culture and so on, when we need to go, we need to make sure that um, Rick Thorpe calls it planting pregnant. So plant with plans to plant. So, so you, ideally, don't send a leader. Send a leader with an apprentice. And I, I would love, Nigel, to put you on the spot, but I think, actually, you've been in Woodford three years from planting and have planted again. So you're right within that. So, so tell us about the culture that you've got that makes that planting. Because actually, this is not going to be the last... Leytonstone is not going to be the last church you plant. So avoiding all the mistakes we've made, um, <laughs> uh, when we started, we felt the Lord say to us, you're a church that's going to plant churches. And so we had to identify people who were going to walk with us. Uh, and so actually what the Lord said is look for the 12, look for your 12, mm. invest in your 12 and watch what I'll do with those 12. Mm. Um, of those 12, there's about six couples. Um, and when, when, when we felt it was time to plant, we genuinely went away on a bit of a retreat, expecting the Lord to tell us it was one of those six. Um, 
And he said, no, actually, I want you to hand on the church and go and plant again. Mm. So you model to the rest of the people that it's okay to hand something on. And it's okay to build legacy and release a DNA across whatever the Lord's doing. That's mm. got that at the core of it. So we handed our uh, Hub Woodford on uh, three weeks ago. Mm. And we're in Leightonstone with a team. We're not going to lead that team. We're just going to facilitate the development of that team. Mm. And then look to plant again from there uh, very shortly. So... It's all we're all we're really on a very steep learning curve mm. as we're doing this, but um, it's fun as well. So. <laughs> Brilliant! That's so exciting. So, uh, do you want to come in on that or another question? No, it's, it's related to that question. Yeah. Okay. Go. Yeah. Um, because you mentioned before um, in your time frame that it took you between four to seven years or whatever it was to feel ready. Mm. What were the signs that you felt that as a church you were ready? to do this bearing in mind that this group and others is then it's going to be within three years if you see what I mean so, so I, th- I think the the first the first four years before we went to the diocese and said we're ready to church plant I think there was a lot of there was a lot of growth in me I God was working in me and in, in trying to uh, in me growing in understanding of this and so I'd say that that was the key thing uh, that there was a lot of missional DNA going into the church through missional communities. I think the other reason for four years was that for two years, as we moved from a structure of small group that was pastoral into these missional communities, we were experiencing a lot of pain as a congregation. Every, con- every conversation I was having with people was around the pain of this change. And actually, we, we just didn't have the, the emotional capacity to actually then send people off. We were, we were, we were reworking all of the church's structure, which meant that people were leaving small groups and forming missional communities, and that were long-term relationships were changing, and people were stepping down from leadership, and people were coming to me and saying, you closed my small group. And I said, could you tell me what happened? They explained it. I said, I think God closed your small group. And, uh, and uh, because people felt called into different missional communities. And we said, OK, so let's look after you. Let's work on that together. So it was two years of pain. And if, if Elaine, who's now leading Holy Trinity, uh, were here, she'd say she dealt with all the pain. I didn't really deal with the pain. <laughs> and that's true. <laughs> um, but that, that, was, that was a big factor in us. So getting the missional DNA into the church, and we did it by restructuring as well, was a very painful process and so it was only at the end of that process where we went okay I think I think we've landed here now and actually the reason I say to people don't necessarily do missional communities as an overall church structure is because the the scariest thing you ever do as a leader is try and transition the whole of a church from one structure to another all at once because planting actually only requires you to find a team of people who've got the vision who will then go and so the church can get a general sense of DNA and then you work with the people who, who you've got. And they, the churches will always be at different levels, people within the church. But the hardest thing for us in those four years was we were trying to transition the whole of the church. And that was tough. Yep. Um, yeah, so I was just um, sort of forming a question as I go a little bit. So I was part of a church plant. We church planted in the central Romford for over about 10 years using the Fresh Expressions model. It was all very new and trendy at the time. Mm. And then I went off to train into central London at Christchurch Spitalfields, which is a HDB vibe and, you know, getting a lot of this sort of language and things. 
And um, I suppose that part of me wants to make a distinction between church planting and pioneering, because I think pioneering is different in some ways. I'm not saying church planting isn't pioneering, but it's different to how I understand pioneering. Our CMS, for instance, might mm. understand pioneering. And I think some of my struggle with the language as the time goes on is that we talk about multiplication and we talk about reproducing and I'm scared we start to move towards the word franchise. Hmm. You know? yeah. so, and so in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, this stuff works. I know it works. I've seen it work, in, particularly in central London. And I'm a Bethnal Green boy, so I understand how, you know, this is where my family comes from. So I get that hmm. sort of vibe. But a lot of the old EastEnders that used to live there now live where I live in Romford. And when these uh, models start to roll out in our area... Inevitably, they don't often work, if I'm honest, because I can put I can put some nice lights. I can have an amazing worship leader, and you know, in terms of DNA. And part of my question is around how you define church, what you think church looks like, and is it always about them coming into something, or could a church plant could a uh, sorry again, I'm using a language I don't like, but. Could it look like, you know, one of my things, I like to go down the gym and I like to go down the pub. Very Mm. counterproductive things, I have to say. (laughs) But, but, you know, I meet with the guys in the the gym and uh, we've got a little WhatsApp group and we meet and we chat Mm. and that becomes church. Now, that's not going to produce the numbers that we like and that's Mm. not going to produce the funding that we like, Mm. but it's still authentic church in our I might define church. In the same way, the guys down my road, they're all builders, that kind of vibe. I'm an ex-metal worker, sheet metal worker. I grew up in a building family. We get on. I helped a guy build his extension on his house. He comes over to my garage and we build some stuff and whatever and we chat. And again, the guys down my road are all self-made. They've got a bit of dough, but because they made it themselves, hmm. that kind of thing. And that then becomes an authentic expression of church. And Dave over here runs a boxing club. The guys gather around boxing. Hmm. And so these things, so uh, I guess my my question kind of is, do you think that this is the only form of, I'm going to use the words I dislike, church multiplication and church planting that work, or do you believe that there's genuinely room outside of this language that also works and that could be invested in better, even though it doesn't seem the same, doesn't give the same results as this does? Um, really, help, really, really helpful because it makes sure that we don't fall into the trap that I only briefly just skirted over, which says this is what church planting looks like. And as I indicated before, I don't think that just starting with bright lights and a worship band is the only way you plant a church. And certainly as we go on to a really poor state in Leicester, that isn't going to work um, because people just aren't even interested in coming to something called church. Um, so we have to meet them in different ways. Um, what uh, So on there, it, it lists all kinds of different ways in which you can create a new worshipping community if we use different language to, uh, to express that. And so I think that we, in New Wine, I think one of the things that is our distinctive, because we, we really want to allow the Holy Spirit, who's so creative, to lead us, is that we don't have a one-size-fits-all model. And so I really am passionate about that. And I really do believe that ultimately, if we create the church planting movements that will, in, and using that language means all kinds of different expressions of church, that will 
reach people in different communities and different networks, they will primarily be small and, le- and led by people who aren't ordained. I'm absolutely convinced about that. And the ordained leadership is the people who act then in, in episcopate oversight and support all that's going on in terms of the creative expression of church that the church becomes. Um, so that, that's my vision of the future. So your boxing club, your gym, all of that kind of stuff really fits within that. The challenge I'd like to bring is that um, we do a lot of very fresh expressions in, uh, in Leicester Diocese. We've got a vision for 320 fresh expressions in our diocese. Um, the, the challenge I'd like to bring about pioneering and church planting is that I think that we can end up labelling something church that actually isn't church. And there needs to be a robust conversation about that because otherwise it's just a missional expression that's connecting with people and it's not producing disciples who are worshipping Jesus Christ and following him to make more disciples. It's connecting with people. We need a load of connecting points. We've become disconnected from large swathes of the population, many of the ones you just listed. So we've got to connect with them. I don't know. Yeah, I'll say it anyway. I don't think the messy church is a church. I think they're a missional connection point. And the danger of it is, is people think they're going to church. And they're not being discipled. And uh, so I've been working with a couple of messy churches. I sent, they've said, nobody come to faith in six years. I sent an evangelist in there. Two people came to faith on the first time that he was in that messy church gathering. Um, because we then had an intention of making disciples. Up until that point, they were happy with having spiritual and missional connections with people. And that's the challenge I'd like to bring. And so I think that the pioneering, the fresh expressions, gift to us, and the Mission Shape Ministry course is such a gift to the church. It's creative. It helps us to understand that quite often these things take time. Length of relationship and spending time with people and all of that isn't a quick fix for church planting. But I think sometimes there's a lack of clarity around what is church, making disciples and an accountability to really see people converted. But that's just my opinion. It doesn't represent the, uh, the opinion of new wine <laughs> in any way. <laughs> so I hope that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. Um, it's for the tape. It's for the tape. Yeah. Oh, I'll see for the yeah. point. Oh, fair enough. Then you get more cockney voice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree. And I suppose then are you suggesting that then there's a wider conversation around to have what church is? Yeah. Because your definition of church and my definition of church might be different. It doesn't yep. sound like it's a lot different. No, but yeah, there's but a really good conversation. Yeah. My thing is digital theology. My thing is about forming communities online and using social media and online stuff mm. for not just advertising our services, <laughs> but to meet people where they're at and to read the culture by looking at what they post, mm. etc. Yeah, brilliant. And so actually it's about mission and drawing people into a spirituality rather than a church. Um, so I guess my thing is, is, yeah, maybe it's a conversation around what church is and how we define that. And I think that would probably be helpful as we move on and be- probably before we start running too fast with one model. And Yeah, and I, I genuinely don't think we're running with one model, um, but I think it could be the dominant model. That's, and so it could be that that grabs all the headlines and that could distort the conversation. So I agree with that. Um, I really want to say that the priority in all of this is making new disciples of Jesus Christ. 
And that's what I want to make sure. And if we're doing that and we're forming them together and then we're worshipping them and we're sacramental and we're, we're seeking to disciple them, that's church. Up until that point, that's mission. So I, that's, that's all. And around, outside of that, I think we can be really creative. And I love what you're saying in that. But um, I'm a little nervous about the lack of clarity around the disciple-making element of church, but we, I'd love the conversation. That's great. So, a comment in a, a predominantly white room. Uh, hmm? The largest churches, uh, the largest churches of the black churches hmm. in our area, they are not small and they're not lay-led. Just a just a comment in a multicultural area. I don't know what Leicester's like, but yep. certainly in London, that's the, that's the pattern. So it's not the, it's not the case in Leicester. Uh, and the other thing, if you talk to those black-led churches. Their big crisis is age. So they're growing older. Um, not, not, not amongst the African churches in London. No, okay, no. so that's interesting. And, but, if you, but the RCCG guys that I speak to, they, that's what they would say. They genuinely would say that they are struggling to culturally shift their churches into something that will really raise up the next generation. Right. Okay. Can I... Just be very specific in trying to pin down Alan's question. I mean, you you mentioned it really, John, but what the bottom line of church, and I think this is totally biblical, is purely baptism and communion. Those two things define a church. If you have baptism, it's about discipleship. I love what you did with the false dog collars and everything, but... You know, our baptism is our ordination for mm, mission ministry. Yeah, that's ministry. exactly what I said. In okay, that, yeah. ordination for yeah. for clergy is just a peculiar sort of ordination. <laughs> that's different. It's very yeah, peculiar. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and baptism ordains us, and if we teach discipleship on top of baptism, that is beginning a church. Mm. Then if we have food for the journey, which... Jesus told us to be baptised. He told us to do this in remembrance mm, of me. Yeah. That is what creates a church. Whether it's a fresh expression, it's a church plant or whatever, mm. that's what creates a church. And I think that is necessary. I agree with you about messy church and that mm. sort of style. Um, but, you know, the bottom line as well is if, none, if we haven't been pioneering in, a, in the broadest sense since we were church leaders... Hmm. we've been making a big mistake. So I think that we will uh, bring things to a close uh, because we need to pray uh, because we could spend a lot of time talking. So do you want to lead that, Paul? Yeah, um, just before we do that, just to say, uh, obviously John's here um, out of, today out of his role as um, Director of Church Planting Development for New Wine. Um, so if, if you're looking for a home then um, I just commend the New Wine Network to you. Um, we, we've got about 3,700 leaders in England. Um, and of that, something like 600 identify with church planting mm. as in-training, planting, mm. or donors, where you know leaders of larger churches that are interested in the planting strategy. Um, and now that we've clarified our strategy as being training everybody in... Uh, new one DNA, which includes evangelism and missional discipleship, uh, mentoring church leaders for renewal and planting new churches. There's a fourth strand, which is that we believe that everything that is true for disciples is true for disciples of every age. So this is also youth and children. So we want to raise youth and children with an understanding of the power of the spirit and the mission of the church. Um, 
Now, that means that any new wine gathering, um, like our National Leadership Conference in Harrogate or our United Conferences at Peterborough, will include church planting streams within it. Um, so when we're at the National Leaders Conference from the 3rd to the 5th, I think, um, Rick Thorpe's coming up, spending a whole day with us and particularly wanting to invest into planters and donors, like leaders of larger churches perhaps that are being called to plant movements. Um, when we come in the summer, we've got people um, who are showing us the way and they come from another part of the world. Uh, so KP Johannan, how many churches do they plant a day? 15. 15 churches a day in India. Um, we need to learn from that, right? And that is lay, lay planting, and that is planting where you hit 30, you turn to plant again. So if you think your church isn't big enough to plant, we need to listen to voices like that. <laughs> and we're committed to bringing in people like that every year to make sure that we're being delivered from our cultural captivity of Christendom um, and challenged back to something that's a little closer to the New Testament. Mm. So... Shall we stand? Um, John, you did some prayer. I think it's been your gig. So. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a great believer that everything that we need is really simple. And if it's not simple, then it's not reproducible. And then we can't multiply it. And so one of the simple practices we, we try to teach people as a disciple, if we're following step by step, is just to ask the question, what next, Lord? Um, because he always has a next step for us, and uh, he doesn't necessarily show us the whole picture, uh, but he is always inviting us into the next step of following him. So I'd love us just to have a moment of quiet where we just, each of us, ask the Lord, what, what's the next step for me out of everything I've heard this evening, this afternoon? Okay, thank, um, thanks for coming. I just wanted to highlight a couple of things coming up. Um, so mention the National Leaders Conference for New Wine, which is the 3rd to the 5th of March, up in Harrogate's, though. Um, but the next New Wine Network here is the 1st of July. We've got a guy called Andrew Stewart Darling, who's church planter for the Vineyard. He's coming and talking about resilience in ministry. So if you're, if you're not on my network, just send me an email, and um, we'll add you to it. And the next New Wine Church planting event that we're going to be doing is we're going to get Bev Murrell, who um, started the church out of which Nigel has, has come. Um, so she'll come and bring us from the Skylark Network based in Chelmsford. I think about 14 churches come out of that now. So she's going to come and talk about church planting and particularly the leadership pipelines that we need. I don't have a date for that yet, though. Um, likely to be uh, September. We might do something between now and then because it's quite a while. Um, finally, just to say, um, if you want to follow up on missional discipleship, no greater resource, well, obviously, other than making disciples by Chris Rogers, um, but for the purposes of today, we definitely want to commend John's book. Um, so Mission Shaped Grace is a really helpful and simple, communicable, reproducible um, tool. So Mission Shaped Grace by John. And um, we're in the process of, plant, of um, publishing... Mission Shaped Living, which is the course that goes with it. Um, there's a version John did in-house, but it's coming out. David C. Cook, New Wine Publication, Mission Shaped Living, which is what you put into the hands of your lay people to get sentness back into the church. Yeah, it's fantastic. Great. Big round of applause for John. and Thanks for coming, everybody.